everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Drucklin, and Doc Searles and I are talking to Adam Bergstein. You may also know him as Nerdstein in various places on the internet. Uh, Adam is the Senior Director of Engineering at Acquia, which you may know as the Drupal Company, but we can talk more about that. He's also an awesome Drupal person in general. He contributes a lot to the project and to Simply Test Me and does many, many cool things, which we will also get into. Adam also very recently was my boss, is no longer, and he's generally a cool guy and we have a lot of really big conversations and I thought we should uh, bring them over here to share with the class. <laughs> so <laughs> so with that- You're welcome. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where are you, Adam, just because I have no idea. I, uh, I live in Pennsylvania, right in the middle mm -hmm. of the state. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not too far from Penn State University, if you know where that mm -hmm. is. And yeah. I'm a short drive away from Baltimore, from DC, from Pittsburgh. So I'm in a really nice central location uh, that's fairly accessible. You're, you're deep in the corrugated mountains of the, the central Pennsylvania. <laughs> Indeed, yes. But from above, the, the whole state looks very corrugated or, or like a crumpled rug. I'm into geology, so it's like interesting stuff to me. Yes. Uh, in fact, from my office, you can see the mountains and it overlooks some train tracks and some mm -hmm. uh, nice mountain view. Yeah. So, well, I'm in, I'm in a basement in Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have a view of this screen. <laughs> That's it. What more do you need, really? I mean, yeah. You know. Anyway, yeah, so thank I you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I wanted to have you on because. Well, you know, we always get into these really good conversations just about sort of the future of the web and, and, and business yeah. ideas and, and, and the state of Drupal. And, and you have given a presentation actually not too long ago about um, sort of a comparative analysis about Drupal as it fits into other CMSs. But really yeah. what I was re really interested in talking to is just is the bigger picture in all of this. Like, what does this mean for the internet? And, mm -hmm. and I wanted, I could maybe hand it over to Doc for just a minute, but, but we've had this conversation so many times that starts out something like, you know, back, back in the before times, <laughs> the, the before web, times. which before the, time, what, yeah. well, there's before COVID there's before Facebook, there's, it depends on which before mm. we're talking about, but there was a time, in fact, you know, when, when I first started working with Doc at Linux Journal, when the web was a collection of websites, you know, we all had our own our own little home on the internet where we shared our hopefully wisdom and that changed. It's all become sort of siloed in, in these, these, these major platforms like Facebook and, and medium and Twitter. And, and now Substack is a huge one. And now, and now Twitter actually just recently uh, introduced a long form base effectively an, another medium, I guess you might say we're in a weird place now where individual sites, unless you're a, a major corporation, um, what is the role of an, a personal site anymore? So let, let, let me give you a little bit of a little bit of history, but I'll throw a Drupal into the middle of it. I saw the internet coming along in the 80s and I saw it was going to change everything. And then when it actually hit in a useful way, when real ISPs came along where you could just get on, start publishing, um, even over dial-up, I, I actually had both a dial-up, not a dial-up, but it was over dial-up line but I had, I had a mail server and I had a, a web server at searles.com that sat under my desk, um, uh, installed with the help of good geeks like the ones at Linux Journal, which is very small at that time. But this is in like 1995. And, and I didn't start, but I started writing on the web because I couldn't, I'm a pretty good writer, but I, I'm kind of iconoclastic. And so nobody, n none of the publications wanted my writing mostly because what they wanted was rah-rah about you know what, what i call vendor sports commerce one versus some other startup you know that kind of thing and or you know just the just yak about the industry and or promoting some company so i wrote my own stuff and later you could i mean you could could have called it a blog later but in the early aughts this was after the dot-com crash uh, but Linux Journal was still thriving, and I had a very successful blog at that point. Uh, all hail to Dave Weiner for um, not only kind of co-inventing blogging and inventing RSS as we've been using it ever since, but he got me to start blogging in 99. And so by 03 or so, I already had like many thousands of readers on a daily basis, and I had a real sense that I was 
writing for a constituency for like I ran a local paper, a topical local paper that was mine. And it was uncreatively called Doc Searle's Weblog because the guy that did the art called it that and I left it that way. And Phil Hughes, who ran Linux Journal at the time, wanted me to do a story about blogging platforms and uh, approaches to blogging. And um, I co-wrote that with Dave Siffrey because he's much more technical than I am. And and we wrote about all the different platforms that were available at that time. And in the course of that, we sort of picked Drupal as the platform we were going to use at Linux Journal for our blogging platform. We called it blogging at the time. And that uh, Dries <laughs> Beitart noticed that, got in touch with us and actually helped us set it up. I don't know what version that was. It was whatever it would have been in 2003. Um, like, it was two or three or something. Sure. Like mm, yeah, maybe earlier than that. When I came, I don't know if it had changed much, but it was 4.6. Like, I think what happened is that we 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 did it. And then when Dries got involved, he basically yeah, said, yeah, you're using the wrong one. You're using an old one. Go do this. And I don't think there was much more involvement than that. But he was still kind of a one-man show at that point. I mean, he had a yeah. he had a constituency, but it was his baby. And but importantly, it was a blogging platform. It wasn't CMS. It was not especially. It wasn't corporatized. Acquia didn't exist yet. And three years later, uh, Facebook comes along, uh, and and Twitter comes along, and a lot of the energy that went into blogging went over to those. And I think the ease with which one could write on those just really made the difference. And I, I would say right now, pretty much the entire, if you looked at my blog role, we had blog roles then, which is like a list of other blogs that I read on the right side of my blog at the time, um, which is still up, by the way. Um, I'm in another one now, but that the original site and its records are still in the same, in, in a similar place. But it's not 404 though. Anyway, it's it's out there. But if you look at all those, every one of those people, if they're not dead or uh, have gone AWOL for some other reason, they're all on Facebook and they're on Twitter. And that was and remains hugely disappointing to me, speaking as a, as a writer, because um, it's kind of like in, 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 in broadcasting or actually in electricity, you can shunt to ground. In other words, if you want to kind of ground out any electrical energy, you just put in a tap that goes straight to ground, right? It's like a short, and that's what happened. It was like a shunt to ground, and everything turned into what I call snow on the water. It just all van. It it disappears. We're looking at it, and then it vanishes. And in spite of the fact that Twitter has had an enormous effect, I mean, I was just watching the hearings that are going on at the same time as we're talking in Washington. Twitter and tweets get brought up oh, every several minutes, so that was important. But the thing that I'd like to hand over to you guys, to to both of you, but especially to you, Adam, is what was the change there that turned Drupal into from a blogging platform, in fact, even blogging itself from from a personal publishing approach? Well, I don't know what you call it, but it wasn't a platform, but it was a way of a way of publishing into content management um, and something that's far more corporatized and not just cloud based, because that makes a kind of sense technically, but but much less personal, let's put it that way. What happened? I think the world has evolved. I mean, that's the, the simple answer, right? Uh, people want and expect content in their fingertips. They want it from their phone. They want it from apps. They want to be able to express themselves in, in short form. Uh, they don't want barriers for any of that, right? Um, mm. And um, I also think engagement's another big thing that Websites, yeah. engaging with websites is is a totally different experience than getting on your phone and posting a tweet or responding to a tweet uh, or getting on Facebook and sharing a photo of your kids. There's, I think it's kind of more the experience around it and the use case. And I think the, the big thing that's changed is around, um, you know, the experience that we're offering people in more shorter form, quicker, digestible mediums that they can engage with other people and engage on platforms, on social networks that allow them for a really quick, short form self-expression, uh, engaging with other people, other like-minded people or people that they completely don't share any thoughts or ideology with and want to express themselves in that regard, right? Um, you know, I think the big thing that 
at least in my view, right, if you just post or, you know, paint a dichotomy between, say, something like Drupal, which is a technical web CMS, you know, platform, um, and something like Twitter or Facebook, if, if, if I take the use case of, say, someone like, you know, my 85-year-old um, grandmother, right, uh, that wants to share a picture of her grandkids visiting, right? She's going to get on her phone. She's going to take a picture and she wants to post it somewhere. Um, I think Drupal doesn't address that, right? I think the, the role of a content management system may, might have been the precursor for some of that. You could like make a blog, you could offer comments, do things like that. But often it requires sort of an, the next level of, you have to know where the website is. There isn't any, you know, it's all decentralized. It's not one platform, right? Um, that you could look up your friends, you could engage with them, you could see their cat pictures. Um, that's kind of how I see sort of the, the breakdown and the evolution around a lot of this. And I think the mobile device introduction is also a major player in this where, you know, a significant piece of technology is now on people's fingertips that they carry around in their pocket uh, with immense capability with the apps and photography and everything that, you know, you can do fairly readily. Um, and I think Drupal, um, you know, the, the real question I have in my mind is, you know, where does Drupal go, you know, from that? Mm -hmm. Or where does the CMS go and how does it evolve, you know, in this kind of landscape? And where is its niche, I think, is really the question, too. And, you know, when you play that against social networks, I, I don't think Drupal is competing with a social network, to be to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think um, that it's it's totally by and, and large. Um, going in a completely different direction, if I'm being honest, where I think it's it's um, looking at more commoditized offerings, more of the Squarespace and the Wix and, and how um, Drupal brings the extensibility, brings the flexibility, the power, the framework, the development chops, the cloud-based capabilities. It's something uh, like an open source project is able to do with a very vibrant community that is quite honestly brilliant um, and solves a lot of really integral problems in that space. Um, but I think, you know, a Wix and a Squarespace uh, and even social networks to a degree, they really focus on this usability, this like refined experience, this well-documented experience that, you know, I would say is down market of what Drupal's, you know, value proposition is today, right? Um, you know, is, can Drupal be Twitter? Can you build a network with it? Of course you could, right? Uh, it's capable of doing that. It has all the features. It's web-driven. You know, it has all the APIs that could integrate with a mobile application as an example as well. So there's a lot of capability, a lot of overlap um, functionally of these things. But I think, um, you know, I look at it a little more existentially of like, should it, right? Should it try to be a social network? Should it try to, to do that? Um, and I think Drupal as a platform um, and I've done a lot of research on this where um, if you kind of productize it, if you look at it as a product and compare it with Wix or you compare it with Squarespace or these other things, you can actually see, uh, even with WordPress, to be honest, you know, Drupal doesn't check all the boxes and its numbers tend to be declining. Uh, the boxes that it checks is, uh, today seem to be a lot around these enterprise websites, uh, around the scalability, around the cacheability, around the security. Uh, so it's hitting a, a really niche market, I think, right now, but it does it very, very, very well uh, for what it's able to do. And I think the, to me, where, where I look at things is where does Drupal need to go, right? And uh, if it's uh, back, like, Doc, what you said about it being, uh, having a specific identity of a blog back in, you know, 2005, right, that it was able to, to get a lot of adoption by, individuals by people um, and it seems to be you know uh, have in recent years been going way more towards the enterprise market and the enterprise niche um, in my view I think you know for Drupal to get more market it has it has to come back down market and address some of the needs that uh, a Wix and a Squarespace and even other platforms even like wordpress.com are really trying to address right hmm. Um, which I think moves it away from purely a technical perspective or a technical um, framework into one that, you know, starts to question things like how can you get the time to value lower? How can you deliver value for more personas, non-technical people uh, and build features and build 
capabilities that make Drupal even out of the box, something that's more compelling and less complex uh, in nature. Something that's interesting is I, I think that there's a parallel here in, in the way that we actually used Drupal at Linux Journal. So when I came to Linux Journal, it was a blog. It was very much a blog. It was it was a, a secondary, almost, I wouldn't say it was an afterthought, but it was very much uh, less relevant than the print magazine, right? And we we turned it, We as Drupal evolved, so did we, and we turned it more into its own product because, again, Drupal had, was powerful and flexible and could do all of these things. And it allowed us to build a, a completely new new product that was not and I don't, I hesitate to say merely a blog, but it was not merely a blog. It was many, many other things. Well, um, I think we chose it in part because it really was, and we had a small enterprise we still had at that time, maybe 12 mm -hmm. employees, something like that. And, and it was robust and it was bigger. I mean, it was, it was not, you could do WordPress is yeah. very lightweight at that point. And, uh, and the other choices were pretty much proprietary stuff. I mean, so it was, it was kind of, it wasn't so much a no brainer. It was like, it was really fit for purpose. And, and, and it grew in exactly the direction that we were growing as well, I right. think. And what, what's interesting yeah. to me is I think the things that, that always attracted me to Drupal, but even before, before I was at Linux Journal, but also made me stick with it um, and really embrace it and embrace all of its flexibility or maybe, I mean, maybe those are things that hold it back in a little bit in a way. Um, I, and I'm thinking in terms of just when you, when you think of Drupal as, as, as so flexible and so frequently lacking in opinion you know what i mean like so we have some experience with let's say opinionated distributions but drupal in and of in and of itself is not it's incredibly flexible and you can put together very discrete customizations um, and to make it into anything you want it to be and and i wonder if that's that's a detriment as it grows I, I did hit on that point, yeah, and uh, in, in a recent talk that I gave. And I think if you look at it from a market perspective, the question is, when would you use Drupal? Mm -hmm. And if it can be anything, it's a very hard positioning yeah. for it to stand out. Whereas actually there's a lot more niche um, CMS products that are actually coming up now you know, even Contentful, um, there's, you know, commerce-based CMS systems uh, that are, are coming up into the ranks. Um, and those offerings, in my view, they, they may address like what you said, Catherine, was more of like the distribution-based approach where, hey, I want to install this specific thing that loads these specific features and makes my Drupal site, you know, hit this market for you know, a restaurant use case or for, you know, a nonprofit use case where it has a blog or it has like, you know, services that are offered, testimonials, et cetera. But I don't, I think when you have a more generic framework or platform, you know, you can hit an enterprise use case and say, kind of like the IBM argument, if you re recall that from a long time ago, um, that nobody ever, you know, regretted buying Big Blue or whatever, right? Where you know that Drupal can handle it. You know that Drupal can do it. And that's very compelling for a lot of people, right? Because you know that you can engineer it in a way that is going to meet your use case. And you could extend it in the future if you want for any use case that you come up with. And I think it's, it's quite compelling from that regard. But I think where these niche um, CMS systems and stuff come in, Drupal's just got these big competing kind of you know, waves of fronts that are coming in uh, where, you know, you do have a contentful, which, you know, is just a, uh, I think kind of marketed as a headless CMS, right? Where it has content modeling, like a CMS, content storage, like a CMS, but then web service APIs that are consumable by anything, like any front end, any, you know, React application or anything like that, which is very general purpose. Uh, and, and sort of it, it harnesses a central hub and spoke kind of model, right? So, you know, I think Drupal, you know, needs to, to be looking at these things and saying, okay, yeah, what do we want to be? How do, you know, where do we want to evolve? And, um, you know, even the, the proprietary offerings like the Wix and the Squarespace are extremely refined in their experience. They're well-documented. Mm -hmm. The user experience around these platforms are very, very, very refined. Uh, and I think, you know, Drupal is built on open source, you know, contributions, right? And so having to keep up with that and, you know, requires sort of a, a 
big charge from the community and a, a lot of focus that um, may be kind of pulled in other directions as well. So it's a little bit of an interesting time, right? But I still think it, it definitely is a great decision for a lot of uh, people, but it comes down to what you want. Um, you know, I, I always look at like, um, if you were trying to build a website for your local pizza restaurant, right? <laughs> um, would you pick Drupal or would you pick, you know, a Wix or a Squarespace, right? Yeah. Um, it might be a little hard to sell Drupal. Now, if you have a staff like the Linux Foundation that can do that and actually can get the most value out of the Drupal application, I think it's a lot clearer. I think the it's um, it, it adds a ton of value in that regard um, much, and did even back then, yeah. How much do you think it even matters anymore? Like how much do we need to... How much does Drupal need to embrace the the smaller scale sites? Like, for example, I'm actually I was thinking, well, you know, I need I need to kind of rethink my my personal domain, right? I need I, I used to have a blog, I scrapped it. I actually now have a static HTML site on it because for because reasons, you know. And I wanted to get back into posting more regularly. And and you know, one of the things I you know I really wanted to do was have a personal Drupal site just because I could, so I could tinker and, and practice certain things that I may, maybe don't get to work with very much. And it occurs to me that I can't figure it out. I cannot figure out the answer here. I can't figure out like, how do I host a Drupal site on cheap hosting, you know, without paying a ton of money for really good managed Drupal hosting? Like, and I can't figure this out. And if I can't figure it out, well, then, you know, what hope is there? Not that I know that much. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a market perspective in my view, right? And if you look at the offerings and there isn't any readily available offerings, it means that it doesn't seem to have, you know, a strong or compelling argument for say, right. you know, a business to build a cheap hosting offering for Drupal. Right. It just doesn't hit its market, right? In my view. And now, you know, to me, the question of like, it just comes back to the question of where does Drupal want to evolve in the future? And yeah. I think Dries would be a much better person yeah. to answer that. Um, we'll have to ask him. <laughs> certainly, mm -hmm. you know, I have my own thoughts and my own opinions, but I, I still feel that adoption is still a critical data metric, you know, for open source projects, especially. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, even contributors want to see adopters as well, because they want to make sure they're having impact. They want to make sure they're using and contributing to something that, is vibrant and it's an important consideration. Yeah, and, and honestly, maybe maybe you know, have it, maybe Drupal being a more specialized tool for for larger scale applications is the right answer. Maybe it just doesn't matter that, that it's not a good you know it can't be everything to everyone. Um, but I so I also kind of wanted to, to revisit my original idea was so how do all of these things and and you know much more about other CMSs than I do, how do all of those things kind of fit in, in, in the landscape that we have today? Like does, does Drupal need to compare, really need to compete with Squarespace and Wix or, you know, is there a, is there a, a case for Drupal or other CMSs sort of taking back some of the, the content from the, from the major silos like uh, medium or, or, or others. I mean, where, where does it all fit Ab in? Absolutely. Fit yeah. I think existentially a, a platform like Drupal is more freeform and you have more freedom to express yourself. And I think that is the, that was always the intention and sort of the, the vision and the, the ethos of the open web. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a platform like medium, or even if you look at social media, there's been a lot more scrutiny um, around you know, more of the curation and even the governance of the content, mm -hmm. right? Um, was... Yeah. And I think also looking at gated content, you know, a platform like Medium is still a business. They still have to make money. You know, you have a lot of concerns about data privacy. You have a lot of mm -hmm. concerns of like the, you know, is somebody going to uh, roll out a feature someday and puts like a, you know, a red icon on my blog post that says, hey, this might, you know, might introduce you know, um, it might not be truthful or it might not represent, you know, uh, the data is not, you know, in question about this blog post or something like that, you know, if you express, you know, your opinion on something. Now, um, you know, I see the good and the bad of that, right? I mean, I think people certainly need to be, 
you know, looking at how they express themselves and trying to do so in a, in a thoughtful way, not spouting lies, not, you know, whatever, but there's, there's another aspect of it, which is more around the expression, right? Do you have mm-hmm. a, a, an ability to actually express yourself where your, your content is not necessarily owned by a platform? And, and how, how do you feel about that? Right. You know, where do you, do you have the ability to express yourself? Do you have a tool that you own? Do you have the data? Do you own the data? Do you control that experience? And there's always going to be people and even businesses and and things that, you know, they want to own their own stuff, right? They want to have that server that's under their desk. They want, they want to know exactly where it's coming from and who has access to that information. And, uh, without the concerns of, you know, private corporations and, you know, people, someone buying a company and then all of a sudden, you know, all your data is in the hands of some billionaire, right? That who knows what they want to do with that, right? And, you you know, you if you use a social media platform or you use a paid offering, more SaaS driven, you run the risk of not really knowing <laughs> exactly who has your data and, and what... Um, what they're going to do with it, to be quite honestly, right? I mean, and um, so I think there's always going to be people and and even uh, entities that that really want to leverage something like Drupal, which is open source, with which is a great framework for developing, curating your own content, um, you know, and being able to share that out in any channel you want, you know, and having Drupal's features with like its APIs and its various integrations are very compelling in that regard to kind of preserve the spirit, I think the intent of the open web. I love that, that you kind of read my mind and took it in that direction even before I got there, by the way, because I was totally going down that like data privacy, you know. <laughs> also, and, and moderation. Moderation is a, is a really good point. You know, if you, um, if you give, uh, if re- you relinquish control of your content to a third party because of, for convenience, you, there are obviously trade-offs there. And I guess what I'm getting at is how do we open source people save the world from the <laughs> well, from all I have a few things. thoughts here, but they're not especially coherent. Um, no, but no, I'll try. It's all good. Yeah, I'll try, which is that I think when we talk about the open web, it might help to start with realizing or recognizing that what Tim Berners-Lee did when he invented the web was nothing more than using this new protocol, HTTP, on TCP/IP, the deeper the internet, the internet protocol itself, to enable any two parties to look at each other's documents. Okay, just I I can see your document. I'm actually getting a copy of it, and to publish very easily. I mean, I I worked for a while for uh, for a number of years for Hitachi Semiconductor and and their gigantic company, of course, and at that time, and they were very taken, or at least the corner of it that I was dealing with, with SGML. And SGML was kind of complicated. And I remember talking to them about HTML. It, you know, it's a really simpler way to do this. Well, HTML took off because it was simple and easy. And an interesting thing about it is that it left a lot of the formatting up to the other side. It left it up to others to, to what font do you want this in? You know, there's the, the headline, big, medium, or small, you know, H1 through 5. Publishing was incredibly simple and easy, but more importantly, I think it it left so much up to the people reading it as well as the people writing it. But then it turned into two two things happened. One is be, once the web took off as a publishing medium, we really needed better publishing tools to make the formatting um, look more like desktop publishing, and that's what we got and um, look more like sophisticated publishing. And it got really, really complicated. You can't even buy at this point a simple HTML editor, even though any browser will easily render simple HTML. It's not like simple HTML went away. Um, and I lament that. I, I lament that because I wrote in that. All, my, all the earlier stuff I wrote, I wrote in simple HTML. And there were simple HTML editors to, to do that with. And as far as I know, they don't exist, especially the WYSIWYG ones, not there anymore. And there's not much demand for it because everybody's publishing in, in, in another way on somebody's platform. And the, the idea that you needed a platform to do these things became, you know, the norm. And along with 
clouds. Like, you know, we're, we're always turning our data over to somebody else if we're using a cloud and how can we not use a cloud now? We can't. And you have to use clouds for almost everything because they're the only things that have the heavy duty back end capacities and technologies to enable to, to enable that to happen. So I blame to some degree client server. Client server is an is a, an ar an architecture. It's a simple architecture. It just says you have a, a central server and you have a lot of clients running off that server. It's a mainframe concept, and it adapted very well to the web once we all had servers, and it came into usage during the dial-up age when everything was very asymmetrical in terms of provisioning and and was amplified i think by cable once we all were hooked up by cable and dsl in fact you know um dsl was all adsl it's asymmetrical uh digital subscriber loop that's what it stood for and it just turned into dsl but it's all asymmetrical cables asymmetrical i'm on a i'm on a a half a half uh, gigabyte connection here, I think. I've got a full gigabyte in New York and at the other place I live. And here I'm 30 megs up, that's tops. You know, in the other two places I'm 10. And that's to the convenience of the big providers there. So, you know, it, it's, and I don't know whether this is avoidable or not, but I know that we somehow lost a lot of the energy that went into the open world that we had early on when when geeks were scratching their own itch and not their employers itches and the kind of itches that employers have are much more high level sophisticated corporate than the itches that ordinary users we call them the computing and drugs are the only businesses that call people users um have and I don't know an easy way out of that. I just take a long view of thinking, you know what? It's going to it's going to take a few more years before the pendulum swings back the other way. So I'm interested Adam in what you said earlier like maybe 10 or 15 minutes ago about how you think Drupal ought to pay more attention to ordinary people who are writers or whatever, but not so much for what Drupal should do, but rather you know, do you see demand emerging there? Do you see you know, and I mean, for example, as we have more interest in privacy and personal agency, more than just prophylactic tools to keep ourselves private on our side, but rather authoring tools, ways of of controlling our lives online. Do you have any, th any thoughts toward that? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think there absolutely will be a lot more of that, and I think it's gonna. You know, we we live in a world where the landscape of security is ever evolving, right? Your data could be at risk. You, um, there's more, um, you know, hacks, there's more leaks and things of information that there's ever been, right? And it, it gets yeah. even more creative. And these are all built on systems that are fallible, right? Um, and uh, they get exploited, right? And I think it goes even a level deeper, you know, around, um, you know, when that data does get exposed as, as more, you know, leaks and compromises happen, it's just going to be inevitable. People are going to start saying like, Hey, there's got to be a better path here. Or is this really what I wanted to, you know, do with my information, you know, instead of just skipping over the terms of service or the user agreement, right. They, people might pay closer attention to that. Right. But they're right now, they're not really feeling the consequence of it, or they don't think there's consequence. And, and I, but I do think the pendulum switches and you know I, I think the pendulum really came to the direction that it came to you know based on sort of like the, you know the usability movement people didn't want to invest in learning html like you did doc right like they uh they didn't want to learn they didn't they wanted they want things that are easier more accessible right um not accessibility in the uh section 508 compliance lens but accessibility in like the you know, uh, ease of use, right. And trying mm -hmm. to, you know, get things in people's fingertips, but, you know, it kind of came, uh, I read a book, you know, a long time ago that the Steve Krug book around, uh, don't make me think. Right. Mm -hmm. And that movement kind of, you know, matriculated into many different industries, 
and, and tech, you know, um, in the book, they talked about how they, you know, used to design these, uh, I think it was cups or like jugs or something like that, that, you know, they ended up putting a better handle on it or something someday. Like that kind of analogy applies to tech as well, right? Where, you know, if you're being forced to learn HTML, but then somebody can give you this really highly refined experience of like editing content, it looks exactly like the way it's going to show up on the page. It's styled, it's um, already styled for you. You can see it. It has visual preview, live updates, you know, a lot of um, the ability to be, you know, refined and edited in very easy and uh, way without learning any technology. It's a very empowering sort of thing for, yeah. um, for many people without, you know, there's no mention of HTML. There's no mention of any of that. Right. And so I think that's where the market, I think, went, you know, but I think the pendulum comes back at some point. I especially, I think I want to see like, you know, I sort of want to see open source take, you know, and Drupal, you know, would be great, you know, take, take a lens of innovation, right? Where, okay, you've got these commodity platforms and sure, they'll produce, mass produce HTML for you and um, they'll, you know, allow you to, to maintain um, this blogging platform and you don't have to worry about your servers. You don't have to worry about, you know, any of these types of things. But, but there needs to be or should be a compelling reason to say, okay, what, you know, what would you like to see in the future? And, and kind of take a lens of like, what's missing? What can we do to make this better? What, how can we evolve in a way to make that argument even more compelling to come back and say, no, you should own your own data. We're offering, you know, this open source framework offers X, Y, and Z that none of these other things offer and really take the lens of, of getting back to the spirit of innovation, which I think an open source community is perfectly set up to do. Uh, and especially one that's vibrant, that has a lot of smart people. Drupal is a great example of that. And I think is, you know, prime, a prime example of, of a framework that could drive totally new innovation that we've never even seen on the web today. I like that you mentioned, um, you know, security and privacy as concerns that sort of kick people into gear and <laughs> sort of paying more attention to where they're putting their data and, and how they're storing it and all that. But it is, it's kind of a weird double-edged sword that way, because when you also mentioned the, you know, obviously the maintenance burden. So it's, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't, okay? You know what I mean? How do you, you take control of your, your own security and privacy and, and your own content, but at the same time, then, then you are, you know, beholden to no one, either <laughs> you're, you're responsible for, um, you know, securing your, your app or, or however you're, you're storing your data. It's, uh, I don't know, it's complicated. It's complicated. If someone could just solve yep. that. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, and I think world. it just comes right. It comes down to where do people want to invest their time. And so far, you know, when you have various platforms and offerings that give you time back, that's where a lot of people are, are going. And but they're not expecting these really deeply extensible use cases. They're probably accepting the risk of where their data is stored, how it's stored, who's managing that, who has access to that. Um, you know, and so, yeah, there's, a, you know, we're at an interesting time, right? Um, and in a lot of cases, too, you know, if you think of, like I said, you know, Joe's Pizza Shack down the street, you know, maybe they don't really, they don't bring the same level of concern, right? But then, you know, it also could be something that, you know, Joe um, used the same username and password that he used for his bank account someday, and then it gets compromised. And, Joe learns the hard way that, um, you know, even though he went to his pizza shack and set up a really quick and easy website, um, he didn't really secure it in the way that he needed to. And I know we're not really talking about security. It's um, just kind of uh, more of a conversation, I guess, about, you know, the open web and, and Drupal mm -hmm. and everything. But I think all of these factors really do play in to, you know, sort of a broader lens and, you know, these things that I think are you know, that open source and, and Drupal in particular are, are definitely, you know, really helping to, to offer very viable alternatives and, and also to, you know, they're going to be something I think that, you know, really positions the open source framework in the future to be compelling for people once, once there's reason, right? 
let, let me ask you a question that, and you might be in a good position to answer and you might not at all. So we're, we being uh, a group of people with a standards effort right now at the IEEE called P7012, which is about machine readable personal privacy terms. That is terms that we as individuals, which we call users, proffer and websites and services can agree to. And we've already worked with the loss uh, with the cyber law clinic at Harvard Law School and coming up with one of those terms. That one says, uh, just give me ads that aren't based on tracking me. In other words, I'm cool with advertising. Just don't give me any tracking based ads. It, it preserves a business model. The advertising business model takes tracking out of the picture. But there isn't a system out there set up yet that's willing to hear terms that are proffered from the other side. And I bring this up for two reasons. One is that the web and the net in the first place were peer to peer and contract is peer to peer for that matter. You have two parties, first and a second party, but they both agree to something. Um, either side can proffer the terms in the first place, but we've had this top down model for so long. I mean, it was lamented in a landmark, legal paper by Friedrich Kessler in 1943, in which he lamented that freedom of contract was out the window because industrial might was so high that they really needed standard form contracts and we'd never see freedom of contract again with a large company. And we just took that flaw and stuck it on the internet and we're stuck there now. But I'm wondering if two things, one is, do you have any hope that we could, that this could succeed? <laughs> that, that, um, systems on the corporate side could be willing to read terms from users that are simple off the shelf terms, just like uh, customer commons terms are, I mean, creative commons are, terms are. We have customer commons, it's a parallel nonprofit um, that does the same kind of thing only with personal terms. And would Drupal be, would somebody, could somebody make something that a Drupal system uh, could agree to? In other words, somebody's got a CMS, a user comes along, says, hey, I've got some terms here. Um, can you agree to those? And have a machine say, yeah, okay. Is that a doable thing? Or is that like an add-on that's really not Drupal's or Aqueous responsibility? I don't know enough about about it to, to speak to it, but I'm wondering if you could, or either one of you, actually. I, I'm not sure I completely understand the question, but I, I think your commentary around ads and sort of like, offerings really come back to the, the corporation itself. And it comes down to that when you look at trust, I actually have a master's in information systems and security. So hmm. <laughs> security is a little bit of a, a passion project for me, although I, I don't consider myself a practitioner, you know, day to day. But um, it really comes down to like, you know, what do you deem to be trustworthy, right? And you, you mentioned ads, that's like, you know, something that's like the bane of my existence with, you know, the tracking and the cookies and all of that stuff. And, you know, you, you can, um, it, there's, I took this whole course on basically like this, you know, kind of profile gathering where, you know, you can just take these really small clues that are built up, you know, around hundreds or thousands of little, you know, incidents. And all of a sudden you have almost a full picture of somebody. Right. Yeah. And so an ad and a tracking, uh, you know, is really um, not, it, uh, what it does in its own, you know, small form might not look all that bad, uh, but it, it's really, if it happens at scale, that's really where, you know, it becomes yeah. quite problematic and, you know, um, or can come become problematic. But I think really it comes down to like the trust in the corporation and really just trying to understand things. But I've generally not really found private industries to be all that trustworthy, especially you know, with the unknowns, like, um, you know, I talk to my, my wife and my friends a lot and say like, Hey, you know, you really don't know where that business is going to be in two to five years. They could go through a downturn and the minute that they do, they're going to get desperate, right? They might look for ways to like, how do we monetize what we have? How do we, you know, um, get, you know, more investment back into the company and stabilize things and blah, blah, blah. And when you, when you see a business get kind of desperate, they're, you know, they'll do what they need to do. And if they have your data and they're tracking your data through ads and things like that, 
um, you know, it's, you just don't know what's going to happen. And um, my opinion to answer your question directly is I don't think there is a corporation that quite honestly can or will forever be something that you can just point to and have full trust in that corporation carte blanche, right? And uh, so that's my philosophy on that as a person, you know, uh, but I do think open source plays a really vital role. I think Simply Test is actually a great example of that. And Catherine knows that where that service is completely run as an open source tool. There is, uh, but it's also a service. There's no terms of using it really. Like it's not uh, it's something that's free for the open source community to take advantage of. And it's, but it's one that has no tracking. It has no um, user engagement, no ads, no anything. It's really just an open source service for Drupal um, people to use and, and get value from, right? There's, it's very authentic in what it, well, what it is trying to do, but there's no corporation. <laughs> like it's, it's open source. So let, let, let me take another whack at this, which is everywhere we go on the internet, we're asked to agree to terms that sites and services proffer. Click here. You know, most commonly now, thank you, GDPR, unintended consequence of GDPR is we see a cookie consent notices on the front of every website. You know, big big button that says click here to agree to our to to agree to be tracked basically or or make your selection here and there's no record of it at all on your side. Uh, it's completely one-sided, completely broken, and very much in alignment with what we don't trust about corporations everywhere because marketing has become spying and that's normalized to a really awful extreme. But this is a, a simple, modest, open source effort, basically, at this stage, could be. I mean, we're basically working on a standard. But where in your browser is something that says, I have a term. My term is sitting over here at Customer Commons, just like a Creative Commons term is sitting at Creative Commons. And you, website, can agree to that. And we both have a record of it. And we have the one term. We have the legal agreement. It is lawyer-readable. It's person-readable. All we, all we need now is machine-readable. And we're basically looking for hackers to help us with this. We've been actually at it for three or four years. It's very hard for people to think about it because they're so used to the one-sidedness of we're always agreeing to somebody else's terms. But it would actually be really good for companies that, that are not interested in tracking people, are not interested in making money off of, off of um, selling or giving away personal data at the back end in ways that users have no idea about. So I agree. I agree yeah. with you completely. I mean, there's yeah. there's a... It would be refreshing to see that um, in the world, right? Uh, but then, you know, I think the question really becomes like, well, you know, where do they get their money? If it's a business, they need to have revenue that comes in for other things. Maybe, and maybe it's not that service, but but maybe it is. And I think that's that's kind of one model of the innovation that I was trying to hit on. You know, is I think the open source mantra and in these communities we need we need to find ways to innovate beyond too you know i yeah. i even had this this idea a while back you know basically creating like a nonprofit company that is that really does nothing but try to like invest back in open source or um you know projects like drupal or and the auxiliary projects that it uses symphony and uh, various javascript libraries and whatnot right that you know um, you know, having, having an entity that, you know, is, is truly an authentic entity, you know, it's a business, it has books, it has, you know, um, revenue coming in, but it's, but it's mission driven, right? It actually is designed in sort of a similar way that I think you're describing with, you know, with a purpose and with, you know, decent intentions, right? Uh, not, not just going to cave and sell all your information all this, you know, anytime, something goes sideways with the business, right? Yeah. I think I think the question really is just how, how does it technically work? You know, if, if you were to 
you know define these these set of fields basically how do you how do you store them where do you store them and who has to buy in does the browser have to buy into the you know in the the manner of do not track except actually respect it <laughs> you know and and how do you enforce that that social contract you know gdpr enforces it on the on the the site owner but how do you enforce you know a an, an individual user expressing their preferences and in, asserting their agency and i think that's the bigger question yep. which may be for a different for for the next episode but <laughs> yeah it could even I, I know a lot of people joke around about um blockchain right and all the new kind of emerging web standards um you know i i think it's very interesting i you know i don't feel like i know enough about it personally but so there's some parallels to some of those conversations right of well, authenticity and and signing of messages and creating, you know, these more trusted channels and whatnot. Right. And um, there's definitely some, some overlap, I think, but it's, you know, it's a fascinating area. And, you know, I will say that like, I, you know, will continue to try to, you know, through my efforts and motivations, really try to push open source to be projects like Drupal and whatnot to, to really be the best examples of what, what you can see and, and serve people in ways that still are authentic and, and have good motivations beyond profits and whatnot. Yeah. So I wanted to point out, we're going to have a ton of links on this episode, I think. So, you know, you can read through and really, really kind of grok what, what Doc is talking about in terms of this, this sort of social contract is how I always refer to it, but you know, the, the request, the user initiated request. So yeah, please, you know, I hope everyone will read through them. I hope, since I think it's probably time for us to wrap up, I, you know, I hope everyone is, enjoyed it thus far and, and taken this conversation as sort of a starting point to look into some <laughs> new new ideas. So yeah, and then and, and if anybody listening has ideas, yeah, about this um about an idea of how to enforce those user preferences, we would love to hear them. You know, we have many, many ways of getting in touch with us. So please use them. But uh Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. So thank you very much, Adam. I know you're you're running out of time here and we don't want to keep you, but um, I appreciate you taking the end of the day and doing this. It was fun. Long overdue. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah nice thank you. These, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I love to, I, I love the, to have the opportunity to come in and to talk to both of you. And um, yeah, it's really an honor on my side. And um, I'm always open to discussing various things. So well, um, yeah, we'll thank you, you so much for having me. Please. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Next time, next time you get a big idea, email me and yeah, I know. Do it. We want those. Cool. That's, how, that's how we get all, all of our best guests. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got Thank a big so idea. Much. Yeah, absolutely. I might, I might think it's a big idea, we'll, uh, but we'll see, you know. Yeah, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, up uh, up to the people is. listening, right? Yep. Cool. Cool. Thank well, you so cool. much. Well, with that, everyone, thanks, thanks for joining us.